This is Poured Over, a show about stories presented by the booksellers of Barnes & Noble. I'm Ewan Messer. I'm the producer and host of Poured Over, and we are starting the new year off. Actually, by the time you hear this, it'll be mid-January, but I'm starting off a new year of taping with someone I am wildly in love with his work. There's a poetry collection called Calling a Wolf a Wolf. There's Pilgrim Bell. There's a chapbook, Portrait of the Alcoholic. There is the Penguin Book of Spiritual Verse that he edited, and now a novel called Martyr with an exclamation point, and I hope that comes through when I say it because I love this book. I love <laughs> this novel. Kaveh Akbar, it is really good to finally meet you. I have been living with your work for weeks and weeks and weeks now, and dude, you're the bomb. You're teaching it. <laughs> Iowa, you're the poetry editor for The Nation, and you are one of the funniest dudes out there. So, <laughs> wow. Can we talk about Martyr? Because there are going to be some people who look at this jacket and go, huh. Yeah. It's, I love the jacket so much. I but do it too. is sort of, it's amazing. It's, it's, it's inscrutable in certain ways. And I love that. And thank you for that intro, by the way. I love this podcast. I love your mind. I love hearing your mind in action. It's a funny thing where, like, if you love Tess Gunty or you love, you know, Anna Napolitano, but like you spend an hour with them, but then you end up spending dozens of hours with you, right? So it's a really lucky thing. Well, thank you for that. But seriously, let's talk about Martyr for a second, because you in earlier, well, earlier interviews, you've talked about how poetry either saved your life or made you a person. There's a lot that poetry has done for you. And yet here you are writing a novel and it sort of changes the intimacy, right? Like poetry is all yeah. about the interaction with the poet and the recipient or the poet and whoever else that they're writing. It's a yeah. much more direct relationship. And yeah. even though you have a very tight cast in Martyr, and boy, do I like Cyrus. Boy, do I like that kid. But seriously, where did this book come from? Yeah. Well, thank you for spending time with it, first of all. And thank you for saying you like Cyrus. I, I like him a lot, too. I like everyone. But yeah, he's a he's a messy, self-obsessed. I appreciate that. Because I think that, you know, everyone talks about, like, unlikable narrators or whatever. And I don't know. I, I haven't met a lot of, like, wholly unlikable individuals in my life. So you see them in the world, right? But I've had forever this um, idea of an artist performing their own dying in a sort of Marina Abramovich artist is present kind of uh, performance piece. And fiction is a place where you can just put such ideas into action without actually having to live them, right? Yep. Uh, you can kind of play out these thought experiments. So that was a precipitating nugget, a precipitating kernel. The Iranian culture of martyrdom, specifically um, uh, Shia Islam, especially as it's practiced in Iran and the way that the current regime sort of weaponizes the theological uh, valences of the word, has been interesting to me forever. Obviously, addiction and sobriety, recovery are major themes in the book. And those have personal, you know, I've spoken about this at length. I'm a person in recovery. And so those have personal interest to me. And so figuring out, a kind of narrative superstructure that would allow me to put all of those elements into conversation was a fun game. You know, like some people like Sudoku and I like figuring out a way to put moving pieces or to put my hands inside the sock puppets and make these pieces talk to each other, you know. And I really appreciate the way the pieces talk to each other because you're cutting across time, right? Mm -hmm. So we're in Iran right around late 70s, early 80s when everything mm -hmm. is kind of happening, right? Mm -hmm. And then we're in the Midwest. And you're a Midwesterner. I mean, yes, you were born in Tehran, but you've been in the States since you were two. I mean, yeah. you're a Midwesterner. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I've lived everywhere in the States, but I've spent the vast majority of my time in the States living somewhere in the American Midwest. And yet there's this constant tension in the book, not just between the idea of being, you know, in one place or the other, right? But you've got this kid who, you know, spends not inconsiderable amount of time, shall we say, not sober, right? Like, (laughs) while he's figuring it out. But it's this constant pull between states, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's the here, it's the now, it's the present, it's the past, it's the present, it's the future. Like, we're never just kind of sitting in one place, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you've got to map this out, and you've gone, okay, yes, there is the palace, that very long, beautiful poem from Pilgrim Bell, where you were going back and like erasing a line and adding a line and constantly. I think it's the longest poem you've ever written, right? Yeah, yeah. And a lot of this stuff shows up, right? Okay, Keats doesn't show up, but, you know, I'm still laughing about that line. It's like I wanted to be Keats, (laughs) and yet I've outlived him already by six years, and I'm like, who really wants to be Keats? What? I Listen, I would love to be, I mean, 100%. If if I could write one poem a tenth as good as, Okay. Nightingale, I would happily die at 27, 24, 20, 20, you know, like I, but I mean, this is intelligent minds can disagree, but okay. you won't, you won't find me like passing over the opportunity to be Keats. I mean, part of why I raise it is I've never formally studied poetry outside of like whatever they try and show you in high school, sure. right? And Thanatopsis sure. is, mm, I can't tell you a single line from Thanatopsis. <laughs> sure. I remember being forced to read it. Yeah, well, that's that's why people don't. That's why people have this sort of acrimonious relationship towards poetry. You know, I used to teach middle school, and we used to have to teach to the public, testing the state testing, and so we'd have to teach them how to look at a poem and say the moth in this poem represents a the poet's mother, b the poet's exile, c you know. And and I've never written a poem that works that way. I've never particularly loved a poem that works that way. So yeah, it's like the way that. I have had to teach poems because you want your students to excel at those state testing, right? It it sort of denudes all joy from the experience. But here's the thing, though. As an adult, I've been able to come to poetry in an entirely new way because of poets like you, because of poets like Sophia Sinclair, too, like Cannibal. I was late to Cannibal, but wow, I love that collection so much. And the things that you can do with language as a poet, right? That precision of language. And there are some, I mean... My copies of both of your books now are a little marked up. That's all I'm going to say. That's extraordinary. It's my favorite sort of. getting into the language, right, and being able to sit with the language and some of the stuff that you do, which you also do when you're writing prose, Mm -hmm. but there's that precision of imagery that is so much fun. Like, Philip Williams has a novel coming out, too. Like, there are a lot of you doing these really- We walk among you. Exactly. Tracy K. Smith had her new memoir. I mean- All of these poets who are suddenly also saying, hey, I want to do both. And I love the idea of let's all do both kind of thing because the imagery is really good. The idea that you only live in one genre or the other is a very sort of new and very American one, too. I mean, like, Cesla Milos was writing novels and poetry. And, you know, I mean, like, this idea that... I mean, Lucretius wrote The Nature of Things in verse, right? I mean, like, he was writing a science treatise in verse, right? I mean, the the idea that one can only live in a certain genre is not a particularly old one. There's no real reason for it other than it's, like, the convention of the past hundred years of American aesthetic thinking. There's no, like, contract that you have to sign when you get an MFA in poetry that says you'll only ever publish poetry, you know? 
you've been working though with poetry. I mean, you talk about how your mom has photos of poems you wrote when you were tiny. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've been doing this, like this has sort of been in your DNA all yeah. along. It was just a matter of whether or not you were going to turn it into your sort of bigger thing, right? Yeah, or if I would survive to turn it into a bigger thing. Well, but yeah, I, uh, yeah, there was, it was pretty touch and go there for a while. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, my brother is seven years older than me and he okay. loved Legos and Erector sets and he loved putting those sorts of things together and he understands what the pieces on a circuit board do, you know, and, you know, he can say, this is the transformer and this is mm-hmm. the capacitor or what I don't just, I don't even know if those things are on a circuit board, but like the exact same way that he loved playing with Legos is how I love playing with Legos. like truly, truly, truly. Like it is one-to-one, like the exact same impulse. It's just, he used his hands and I used like a pen or a paper, you know, like I, I, it would be utterly nonsensical, but I just loved yoking things together and then like sometimes i would see if i could make a machine out of it that did something you know what i mean like like tell the story or you know but i've never gotten over that you know like if i sit down right now if you and i take like a 15 minute break from this conversation and we just draft we'll have produced something that would never otherwise exist in the history of mankind but if you think about it machinery is a metaphor that works really well for novels and poems Mm -hmm. and essays and songs, right? Like, I mean, essentially, the mechanism for songwriting is not that different from writing poetry, per se. Like, and in some cases, like, if you're Jericho Brown, you might even invent a new form. Right? <laughs> sure, like, sure, sure. There's so many different things that can happen, and they're all built out of words. And I love the idea that momentum and silence seem to be two things that you genuinely care about yeah. when you're working with words. and. Yeah. I flew through Martyr. I was actually really surprised at how quickly I went. I was like, am I speeding through this too quickly? (laughs) And I really wanted to know what was going on. And I was very clear where I was. It's Mm -hmm. not like I was trying to puzzle through. And, you know, before we started taping, I told you this one thing that made me yell in the best possible way. I really still love being surprised. I really, like, walk into books that I read with this sort of sense of wonder or curiosity, whatever you want to describe it as. Yeah. But I love it. I, I, do too. I do too. And I get to yell because it's so good because the writer did a cool thing. <laughs> I love that too. I mean, when I was writing Martyr, I was reading a lot of just, you know, the the old sort of like quarter mystery paperback kind of things. Oh, like just figuring pulse. out. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just figuring out like how to do breadcrumbs and how to, you know, how to like not overtell or not undertell or, you know, like how to, get that calibration i was thinking a lot about i mean this is not this is not structurally a similar novel exactly but i do want some of that propulsivity in lyric poetry Mm -hmm. typically the propulsivity comes from rhythm it comes from a rhythmic array of language it comes from one syllable sounding out to the next right whereas in in fiction it tends to be narrative right it it tends to be like what happens who's gonna say what next you know this sort of thing and and that's really, really different. Like it's architectonically different. Like I think that I think that in a lot of ways for me, poetry feels very akin to dance is maybe the closest to me okay. or statuary. Um, and then prose feels a little bit further away. Like I think that I think that you're right that uh, poetry has some crossover with songwriting too, but songwriting gets to cheat with melody. Right. Poetry right. can't do melody. Right. Poetry doesn't. I mean, in, a, in, a, in an atonal language like English, at least, there's nothing there's nothing quite like melody. Right. And so prose prose felt very different. Fiction felt very different. So I was reading two novels a week and watching a movie a day the whole time I was working on this book, just trying to like foie gras duck 
narrative into myself. You know what I mean? Just like really <laughs> stick the funnel in my mouth and like just shove the narrative down, right? Um, just to understand how people got through doorways in fiction, how people, what people did with their hands while they're talking, what people, um, how people paid for their meals, right? You know what I mean? Like just these little things mm -hmm. that like never even occur to you to be thinking about, right? When you're reading a book, they just seem so effortless. But if they're absent, you definitely notice it, right? Um, the great prose stylists, the, sty the prose stylists that we all love are great because that stuff just seems so organic you know it seems so you, you don't even notice it whereas you know when we feel that the language is starchy or we feel that the author is pushing the language instead of being pulled by it it tends to be you know and and understanding how to do that was totally new there's no i mean at least in my poetic education there's no real equivalent to like describing how a character got the money to buy a plane ticket or how the plane ticket is purchased or because essentially yeah, every single yeah. sentence in a novel should be moving the story forward. That's what I'm saying. And, right? and like completely and, like yeah. every single sentence and you have a yeah. little bit of luxury of space and time in a poem that you don't necessarily have with a novel. And I also like, I'll read novels where nothing happens. I, I will own that. Sure. I'm, I'm perfect. If the language is sure, there, sure, sure, sure. I'm good. Nicholson Baker is one of my favorite novelists. Okay, so you know exactly what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. You're just like, what, dude, yeah. are we ever? Okay. I just love watching his mind move. But that's not what this book is. That's not what I wanted to write. Cyrus. He's not you, okay? Can we just say that? Because I have a feeling there's going to be <laughs> a funny. lot of reviews who are like, yeah. oh, yeah, and this is, and yeah, okay. It sounds like there might be some elements of your life. I mean, obviously, sure. the recovery piece and, yeah. you know, the addiction piece. But, like... It is still fiction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a funny thing. I I mean, there there is obvious autobiographical symmetry between our lives. So is there obvious autobiographical symmetry with my life and Orchidea's life, you know, as like a public facing artist, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, Cyrus is, Cyrus just writes poems for himself, right? There's no, and, and so like all of her discussion of being a public facing artist is as biographical as like, Cyrus's war stories about his addict. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm happy to give the book to the world and the world can do what they want with it. You know, my hands are off of it at this point. But yeah, I mean, to to reduce it to a purely autobiographical, this character is me and all of these characters mm -hmm. are auxiliary to scaffold the one character who is me is, it feels totally not how I thought of it, not how I think of it. Um, it's also interesting that in the UK, the UK cover and the UK copy the UK cover has a female um, figure on the cover um, and the copy is all orbiting the artist, which is interesting because I think the second half of the book is largely more Orchida centric and the first half of the book is largely more Osiris centric. I love Orchida. I just, I absolutely love the character. I just, I love what we learn about her. She's so formidable in the best possible yeah. way. Oh, I love that word. That's such She's a good word. She's really formidable. But you do a very cool thing with all of it. And there's another guy called Z. There, And there are other people throughout the book, obviously. Mm -hmm. But those are sort of the three main people. And I just, each of them has such a clear POV. And the way they connect or not is such a pleasure to read. It's, That's it's, incredibly gratifying to hear. It's rare to get this too. Like there are times where I'm looking for this and I don't necessarily get it, but mm -hmm. I'm just thinking too, the way you cut back and forth between time and place and sort of 
as the characters reveal themselves to themselves kind of thing. Like yeah. we're yeah. we're in on the joke and we're not. Yeah. And it's a really hard high wire act to pull off. And Tommy Orange and Lauren Groff are part of how we got here. Yeah. And I'm a huge fan of Massive both. Massive parts. Yeah, I'm me too. A huge fan. But can we start with Tommy? Because I can see that I, I was obviously not there when the two of you met, but like knowing him to the extent that I know him and now having met you, I'm like, oh, I can imagine the whirlwind yeah. that came yeah. out of the two of you meeting. But he had a copy of your first chapbook, Portrait of the Alcoholic. He came to the school where you were then teaching. You're now at Iowa, mm-hmm. but at the time you were somewhere else. And it sounds like the two of you just kind of, he came to find you. He knew you were there. You didn't know he was coming to look for you. And I didn't know. It, I mean, I knew he was coming. Obviously, yeah, but I didn't to, know to he speak, had but, any idea who I was. Right, yeah. Exactly. You then somehow end up working on your novel with him. And he's <laughs> writing poems with the characters from Wandering Stars. I would like more of this story, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you you know a lot of it, uh, which is amazing. But you you really you really dug deep. But um, yeah, so so he came to where I was then teaching and mm-hmm. um, brought a copy of my chapbook. So I was, you know, understandably immediately endeared to him because it was like you know this is this was not this was not even like my first poetry book. This is like a chapbook that you know not. A, I mean, it's available for sale, but it's not a huge. You know, whatever. It's like a deeper cut, you know. Um, and I know because I bought it. We have it. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, you, you, everyone knows. Everyone, anyone listening to this knows how exhaustively you research everything and how excited. I mean, that's. I think that we're very simpatico and that we both really, really love the things that we like. You know, but yeah. So Tommy and I hit it off. Absolutely hit it off. And the end of that night when we met, um, I was back in my back home, and mm-hmm. I got an email from him. Uh, with this poem that he had written uh, that night about a thing we were talking about. And so I stayed up and wrote him a poem back in response. And he was like, great, what are we writing about next? You know, and then we just kept it going. We kept, I mean, I literally just sent him pages a couple of days ago and I have a new thing of his to read. You know, um, we trade pages every Friday um, and send each other. He he calls it band practice. Like we're in a band. Uh, And he wrote Wandering Stars, the... It's both a sequel and a... Have you read it yet? I've read enough of it to know that I'm wildly in love with it. And you're saving it for when you talk to them. Let's put it this way. I have maybe 50 pages that I'm I'm putting off because I don't want it to end. Yeah, I'm totally And that's the biggest thing where it's just like, of course it's going to be brilliant because it's Tommy. And I loved There There. It is. There There to me has the kinetic energy of a crime novel set in Los Angeles. Yeah. It is about Oakland and powwows. And I'm... I'm a little more of a Los Angeles person than I am a San Francisco person. Sure. And, you know, to have that, to have there there as it exists in the world is pretty great. As far as It's I'm extraordinary. Yeah. And, and also, I think that people miss, or, or I mean, I don't know, I, you know, I, I'm not, I haven't exhaustively metabolized the criticism around there there, but it is absolutely a book of revolving characters that yeah. culminates in this like grand scene at the end uh, and is brilliant in that way. But it's also like his prose is so good and sneaky that he can get away with putting in like a three-page treatise about what he thinks of Mm -hmm. um death or a three-page treatise about what he thinks about fatherhood Mm -hmm. right and truly just like just like it could be like pulled almost like word for word out and just like set as like an essay like tommy Mm -hmm. orange on fatherhood and but like but like because it's within this utterly intoxicating enchanting prose 
you don't even notice that he's getting away with just giving you like, here's what I think about this thing. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. it's so exhilarating to see an artist do that. You know, I mean, it's, it's a philosophy book, you know, like it's, mm -hmm. it's like, it is a guide to living as much as it is this narrative story, but because the narrative is so compelling and because you love those characters so much, you know, like who's going to forget Orville after they read that book. Right. Um, that's no, what I'm never. saying. Right. <laughs> and so, and, and that is so good. I mean, I'm so, I, I think that, you know, there are a trillion gajillion big and small inheritances and thefts from Tommy's work. You know, I, I just, I, you know, I, I, he's he's read every page of this book a thousand times over, you know, mm -hmm. like he's read draft after draft after draft after draft, right? Just as I have with Wandering Stars, right? We wrote, right. we truly wrote these books together. You know, I think that that idea of like using the narrative to also like be able to figure out a way to like just put a thought in the mouth of a character, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like this, this is the thing that I'm thinking about. So I'm going to put it in the mouth of a character and then I'm going to put the opposite thought in the mouth of this character so i have to really seriously consider it because you know like instead of just like dismissing it uh, you know what i mean it's absolutely brilliant wandering stars i think comes out um uh early Soon. march late february and um, yeah end and, of february end of february yeah and and it's a sequel and a prequel to there there and it's it's totally own thing it's incredible but also like the language right like here you are riffing on friendship riffing on your working relationship mm -hmm. with this guy whose work we both are absolutely crazy for yeah. But you are always bringing it back to the language. And that's the thing. Like, I've been ripped out of stories simply because I hit a clunker of a sentence. And I'm like, sure, oh, I know what you were you. trying to do. I understand what you were trying to do. But hey. And then I also sometimes read around the stuff that makes me a little crazy. I'm like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. The subplot is, okay. Okay. Yeah. You know, we're just going to keep going through. So when I get the combination of great prose and story and characters that I'm invested in. And again, I don't have to like everyone. I happen to be yeah. very, very fond of Cyrus because he's very real. He's someone like, he's just, you don't always get to meet people like this in fiction, right? Like there's always kind of a little something happening and he's just, he's <laughs> just who he is. It's kind of like young Mungo in that Douglas Stewart novel. Oh, wow. Like, oh, Mungo. Oh, kid. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That's but an incredible that, comp. I love that. But, but, Mungo is really like that kid, right? Yeah, like yeah. everything about that kid. He's messy. He's complicated. He's really, really human. And that for me is the joy of dropping into someone's novel and being like, okay. Yeah. Show me what you yeah, have. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing sort of ethically hygienic or rhetorically hygienic about him, you know, which isn't to say he's like out here just to like be a provocateur either, but he's just, he's just, yeah. I mean, he, he, feels very much to me like this sort of self-absorbed, self-obsessed person who endlessly reprocesses everything that happens mm. to him, past and present, uh, mm. and, you know, is immobilized with decision anxiety and obsessing over the opportunity cost of every move that mm. he makes in this life to the point of not being able to see the people who are right in front of him. I mean, that that feels very relatable to me. You know, again, I, I don't want to say this is like a autobiographical novel, but I mean, certainly I can relate to those things. One thing that surprised me, though, as I was noodling around prepping for this show, is you said Lauren Groff mm -hmm. gave you some pretty hardcore feedback, but then also yeah, said, hey, yeah, this is the yeah. way through. And I mean, obviously, I'm not asking you to tell me exactly what she said, but when sure. you're working in a relationship like that with someone who obviously has the child, I mean, Matrix, yeah. I, there's so much of her work that I love, but Matrix oh my God. made me yeah. care about nuns, <laughs> French nuns in the 12th century. 
And yeah. I, you know, now I just want to ride a horse through someone's front door. Yeah, I yeah. Really it, like to do that. Listen, keep your things. grades up. You, the day will come. Right? But, <laughs> but also, like, what she was, the way she was marking time, too, where suddenly you had, like, it wasn't just, it was a Tuesday in June, 15 years later. It was, mm-hmm. we went from having eight nuns, three of whom were half dead and no plants and no vegetables mm-hmm. and no nothing to, you know, 120 nuns in this business. And that mm-hmm. just the markers for time were so well done. Yeah. And obviously, you know, Vester Wilds is, I still, I really love that book. Yeah. I mean, she, she outbros all the survival fiction bros. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like she, yeah. like she's, that scene where she, what is it? She like, the character reaches into a squirrel's nest and pulls out the the baby squirrel or the the and the fluff from the squirrels to line into her shoes. I mean, there's stuff that like I don't know where you learn that that's a thing, you know. But she's just so utterly competent at whatever she's writing, whether she's writing about centuries old mm-hmm. European nuns or whether she's writing about you know survival list fiction that you know i don't think that she's ever had to survive in the wilds off of squirrel fur you know to warm herself you know as far as i know um and i feel like i know her pretty well but the mind and the ferocity of the intelligence i think that she may uh i think that she and eve ewing i don't know if you know the writer eve I ewing, do, but i think I that yeah i think that they might i, mean, be I know the her two, work i should say but they might be like the two just straight up literally mm-hmm. smartest people that i know just like straight up uh and just ferociously competent. But also she hands you notes and you listen. <laughs> yeah, sorry, to, to get to the every, actual... But here's the... But no, 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 because I can just gush about my friends for all No, podcasts. that's... Yeah. Please, feel free. Yeah. <laughs> I've done it before you. I will do it after you. <laughs> sure. You can still do it. But part of why I'm bringing it up, though, is knowing... You know, a writer's work is very solitary, right? Yes, mm-hmm. you teach, and yes, you're an editor, and you're a huge champion for poetry. But at the same time, like, when do you know that maybe someone else does have an eye for the work that you might need because you're so deep in it and you're yeah, so close well, to the characters and everything else that you kind of have to go, mm, maybe. <laughs> so um, Lauren and I had a residency together. Mm-hmm. Um, I was obviously there for poetry, but it was actually when I was working on this novel. And so, I mean, just early as sort of compositionally, right. like, just the fundamental features of it. You know, she and I would take these long walks and um, we were also, I think at the time, the only two Americans, it was a sort of international residency um, at Chibitella. And we were the only two writers, importantly. Everyone else was, you know, like a jazz saxophonist or a painter, you know, like these sorts of things. And so uh, we would take these long walks and I would, I'd describe what I was thinking about in the novel and she would be like, oh, that's interesting, but what if you made this person do you know what i mean so like from that kind of like just real structural stuff too and then you know for months you know she would uh she would say send me a draft whenever you have you know like really earnestly to the point that i actually believed her you know like you Mm -hmm. know because the first couple you're like okay you're being nice whatever you know but um at a point i was like all right well i mean like if lauren groff asks to look at your novel you know, you don't thumb your nose at that opportunity, right? And I sent it to her and and she, within 48 hours, I mean, again, like, I don't know, I think that she has like four more hours in her days than I have in mine, you know? Um, like hers are 28 hours long or so. You know, I don't know how she does all that she does because she does this, like, like one of the great things that I've learned in the process of, you know, having now, you know, written this novel is, is like, 
She's touched everybody's. This is like her part-time hustle that she doesn't get paid for in anything but like karma. You know, mm-hmm. it's just like she's touched everybody. You know, like she's just helped so many students to who can do her no good in any way. You know what I mean? Like she's touched so many people. Um, and she constantly does this with people who um, can really bring her no professional whatever. You know, like it's it's the most unmercenary goodness that you can imagine, right? But she has to just have more hours in her day than we do in ours because I don't know how she does it. But anyways, I say this to say, she turned it back to me in 48 hours mm-hmm. and she had eviscerated it. Like, like okay. every page was like, this doesn't work. This doesn't work. This doesn't work. This doesn't work. Mm-hmm. This doesn't work. This doesn't work because this, the, but, but like the margins were like as replete as the text on the page, you know? And it's one of the greatest gifts that I've ever been given in my creative life because it would have been so easy for her to say, this is great. You know, you know, move this comma here and send it off. You know what I mean? And, and it would have been fine. You know, like it looked like a novel. It smelled like a novel. It tasted like a novel. You know what I mean? But it would have been a worse novel. I'm not saying like the novel now is some, you know, zenith of the form or whatever, but oh, it, it's it. certainly. Oh, no, no, no. I'll say it. I'll say it. <laughs> well, I, I, no, certainly... I will own that. I will own that completely. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. You maybe don't want to say it because clearly, you know, you have a different relationship to the text, but I'll simply <laughs> say uh, this is one of the best coming of age novels. But it's also, it's family, it's art, it's home, it's all of these things, right, that every single one of us thinks about. Maybe not every day, but, like, there is sort of a thrum of energy and story running through Martyr that is so familiar. I mean, the way you write about art, it's like, well, you know, all of those people. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it's no, no, no. I will say it. It's a great novel. It's I wasn't absolutely. fishing for that. And it's immensely gratifying <laughs> to hear you say that. Um, truly, sincerely, that you picked up a, because, you know, I mean, it is a novel about everything. You know what I mean? Like Alan Grossman said that a poem is about a thing the way a cat is about a house, you know, like a cat walks <laughs> yeah. about, a, you know, and I, and I think that that's what, you know, I think that's the best way to describe art. You know, like if you can reduce an art a piece of art to a certain mm-hmm. aboutness, it becomes a brochure. To get to the Lauren yeah. point, to, yeah. to say that it would have been so easy for her to just pass it on to me and say, yeah. this is, an, you know, and someone, you know, it would have been in the world in some capacity. Like it looked enough like a novel, but she gave me a blueprint from, and I didn't take every one of her notes, but I took most of, you know, she's, she's, she's pretty good at what she does. And they were almost, they were mostly really, really wise and smart and sagacious mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and generous. And I worked from that as my blueprint for six months. You know, I mean, it, it was really just like, I didn't need, I didn't need to show my agent. I didn't need to show, you know, like that was, and I rewrote, I radically revised, I rewrote, I tore away probably 40% of the novel and rebuilt, rewrote a lot of what remained. I mean, it, it was, Again, I mean, I'm getting I'm getting emotional talking about it because it's like it was one of the great kindnesses that's ever been given to me. The 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 faith that I would receive like real feedback and not mm-hmm. just like the sort of like fluffy um, that she had that faith in my seriousness as an artist uh, still just means the world to me. But also, I can see the through line between the collections. Like I can see the evolution oh, of cool. your voice, starting with portrait. Yeah. Going to calling a wolf a wolf because there are there's a little bit of overlap. A hundred percent, yeah. There's lot there there are lines that recur and images that recur. And then we get Pilgrim Bell, and I'm like, oh, oh, guys, something <laughs> something shifted. And and you have talked about it, and I am sort of we're going to go there for a second. But 
Please. You get this big sort of psychic shift in your own life between mm-hmm. calling a wolf a wolf and Pilgrim Bell. And that sort of, to me, feels like that's where martyr starts in the back yeah. of your brain. If I'm if, right. I, if I have my timeline right. I mean, that's right. You, you, you nailed it. But there are some lines in both collections. I mean, like I said, I have destroyed both copies. It's very funny. That's I have incredible. a section of the office where all of the books get, and people are like, what is this? And I'm like, I'm a very <laughs> active reader. <laughs> yeah, you read like I read. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like a, a, a whirlpool. Yeah, it kind of is. And, but part of it is figuring out how the connective tissue works. Mm-hmm. Right. And sometimes you're yeah. right. Sometimes you're wrong. And sometimes a writer's yeah. like, what are you talking about? I have no idea what you mean. But, and it's nice to have the luxury, right, to sit with that kind of work. So in terms of, I mean, I know you're writing all the time. I know, mm-hmm. you know, you said you write stuff down so you don't forget. But in terms of the work and switching gears between pieces, and I'm talking about individual poems, too. I mean, yes, there was the palace that you worked on for ages and ages sure. and ages. And well, that was the and, exception. Yeah. Yeah. But process, like, it sounds like you're always just mentally taking notes. Like, there's nothing, yeah. like, you're one of those people who's just like, oh, there's a thing. Yeah. Well, I, and it's very mercenary. I mean, it's very, it's very, like, craven. Um, I experience everything that I experience first. I've, I've been thinking about the world as a writer for so long that everything that I experience comes in first through the filter of its utility to my right. You know what I mean? Like, like that, like every image, every strange sentence that I hear, every unique formulation of thought, right. I'm like, you know, like, and, and I have literally thousands of pages of notes app. I have hundreds of notebooks around the house from the past decade because I'm totally unorganized. I'll just reach for whatever (laughs) notebook is the closest notebook to my hand and just write the thing down Mm -hmm. in it. And so, I've never experienced what people call writer's block because if I'm stuck, I just grab a thing and write down a phrase that I thought of seven years ago or that I heard someone say into the phone four years ago, and then I'll connect it to the thing that I was writing. And then that ligature is the new writing. And then I can edit whatever I want, right? I've had project block. You know, I've had like, this poem isn't going anywhere. Let me try to work on something else. Or I've had uh, but I've never had, because again, it's just the Legos, you know, I have all of these Legos that I've hoarded, experiential Legos, you know, the 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 way that my cat over there is looking out the window right now, you can't see him, but um, the way that he's like peek looking out the window, uh, because it, it, we had our first big snow of the year. And so this is a sort of novel thing for him or, um, you know, like all of this is entering first through, okay, well, that's a thing a cat could be doing in the background of some future story that, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's like the language is the starting point and the form comes later. Hello, cat. But language is the starting point. A hundred percent. The language is always the starting point and the form, the idea even comes later. You know, the, the aboutness comes later. Have you had a chance to read Christina Sharp's Ordinary Notes? Yeah, of course. Of okay. Course. Okay. So you know yeah. what I'm talking, you know where I'm going with this, but yeah. like the idea that some of the notes are a sentence long mm-hmm. and started life as a post-it mm-hmm. and some of them are seven pages. It's like yeah. the words yeah. lead to the form. And then there's that exactly. she crowdsources exactly. book yeah. recommendations from Twitter, but the way it flows, you're just like, oh, this is why we liked Twitter back in the day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Remember <laughs> when Twitter was fun? I, Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it seems so long ago, but mm-hmm. I do think social media does sort of impact how we engage with literature in this day. And oh, and I'm not I mean, just in every talking way. about book talk, but like 
Yeah. All sorts of different cases. But the thing that I miss the most is sort of the serendipity and the discovery mm-hmm. and the accidents, mm-hmm. right? Like you can curate your life to a point where the algorithm shows you nothing you do not want to see. Yeah. Yeah. And that yeah. bums me out. Like in some ways it's great because then you discover a writer where you're like, oh, hi, where have you been? Or someone, yeah. you know, pops in with a backlist of title course. that I haven't thought about in 300 years. And I'm like, oh, right. I loved that yeah. book. Can I tell you a funny story about that? Yes, please. Um, when I was in, I think it was early high school, we used to get the Sunday paper, just like yeah. the local Sunday paper, yeah. and it had a Parade magazine in it. I don't know if you remember Parade I, Magazine. Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, and and Parade Magazine published one of these, like, 100 books to read before you die or else you're a, you know, right. a, a aesthetically bankrupt human being or what I don't, right. you know, you know, that you know, the list without, you know, without yeah, even yeah. having to see it. It had like Wuthering Heights and mm-hmm. Anna Karenina and, you mm-hmm. know, um, and I remember... I was like, I'm going to read all these. And I went to the library and, you know, I read a few of them. And then um, I remember going to get Don Quixote and I took it home and um, I read it and it was so body and sexy and outrageous and weird and radical. And I took it back to the library and I was like, I need more by this person. How can I get more about this person? And only then, when I tried looking up the specific author's name, did I realize that I had gotten Kathy Acker's Don Quixote and not Cervantes's Don Quixote. Um, and Kathy Acker, you know, is this radical oh, I, feminist, I, and yes. uh, and her Don Quixote, you know, is Quixote, very very different, <laughs> very different than Cervantes's Don Quixote. You know, hers is like this sort of genderqueer uh, Quixote who sometimes is called Kathy Acker and sometimes mm-hmm. is called catheter. And, you know, mm-hmm. like, like, you know, it, it was a very, oh, very, I, different book. I know exactly what you're talking about. I yeah. But again, like tackle... that would never happen, you know, that yeah, would yeah. never happen in yeah. today because you would, you would order it off Amazon or you would order it off your phone. And, you know, before you get to Kathy Acker's Don Quixote, you're going to have 70 copies of Cervantes's Don Quixote come up. Right. You know? And so like, just, and, and of that list, I mean, I probably made it through 15 or 20 of those books before I gave up on that project, but of that list, that's the one that I have the most, the fondest memories of, you know. But I also would like to see us talk more about canon, you know, as a culture, right? Like canon Mm -hmm. needs to, the way language evolves, right? Language is meant to change. It's meant to be an active thing. Reading is an active thing, right? Like it's not a passive, reading's not passive. No. And and the opportunity cost of it is massive today. The opportunity cost of reading a novel that takes you 10 hours to read has never been greater. You could use that to learn bulgarian on duolingo you could use it to learn yeah. how to julienne an onion you could you know you could watch a season of battlestar galactic you know what i'm saying like yeah, yeah completely um the opportunity cost the availability of alternatives mm-hmm. to reading for 10 hours has never been more extensive right? right and and the way to the way for literature to win isn't to impress upon everyone like that it's your duty to read, you know, like, like it's like eating your vegetables, oh, you know, yeah, eating your cultural vegetables. It, yeah, like, yeah, I've yeah. actually had people say to me, well, I, you know, I just don't like to read. And I'm like, well, I'm yeah. sorry. I, what am I supposed to say? Like, yeah. Sorry, and that's fu- I mean, like you're my missing brother, out. <laughs> yeah. My brother is the most contented, yeah, yeah. well-adjusted person that I know. Like truly he, yeah, yeah. you know, he's got a good life, loves being a dad sweetest mm-hmm. human being like just my a bastion of goodness in every direction like just simple clean uncomplicated goodness he hasn't read a book since he was assigned one in high school and is perfectly content and lives yep. like an ethically rigorous life and it's fine it doesn't cost yeah. me anything you know it doesn't yeah. you know he's not taking food out of my mouth to not nope. you know he likes movies and he likes 
learning about city infrastructure, you know, and, and skyscrapers. And that's what he that's what does it for him. And that's dope. But I like books and I like talking back to the books that have spoken to me. And that's the th- talking back to the books, right? Like talking mm-hmm. about or talking about characters as if they were real. Yeah. 3D kind of living, breathing kind of extensions. I get so much from great books and I get enough from books that are like, okay, I get why you exist. <laughs> I'm yeah. down. I am. I do honestly believe that there's a book for everyone. Like I genuinely yeah, I do too. believe that. But at the same time, like when I get the thing that makes my eyes get really big, mm-hmm. <laughs> all I want to do is yell about it. Just, I like, know. We, well, we have that same book, sort of like, right? like evangelical impulse with this stuff yeah. too. Is like if if I consume something that brings me this much joy, it would be almost like unethical for me to hoard that. You know what I mean? For me to just hold it to myself when I could be sharing that joy with the people that I love. But also the things that I connect with, right? Like yeah. I spent a couple of years in Chicago. It was fine. I'm meant to live on a coast. That's some sure. of us are just built to live on a coast. Sure. But there's so much in Martyr that I was like, oh yeah. And not just because I lived in Chicago for a couple sure. of years. And I think that is so hugely important that I can look at this novel and be like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Please get <laughs> out of the back of my brain. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I do like the music and the messiness and being young and trying to figure it all out. And, you know, Cyrus has some challenges that maybe some other people don't have, but you do, you write about class. Every, but everyone does. Access. I mean, Cyrus is one unprecedented experience yeah. uh, amidst 8 billion. But he's so alive on the page. And that's the thing that I really appreciate because you watch him make these mistakes and you're like, okay, okay. <laughs> open the door before you walk through it, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, we all have that person in our lives, mm-hmm. and sometimes that person has been us, and you know. Yeah. But there is a joy in this book. And it's a joy that's not dissimilar, actually, to Nana Kwame Ajay Brenya's Chain Gang All Stars. There's a joy in the prose. Yeah. And yeah, he's, I mean, he's talking about abolition, he's talking about yeah. incarceration, he's talking about really complicated stuff. And you've got some complicated stuff in this novel mm-hmm. as well, but like, we can't leave out the joy. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I mean, I hope that when there is laughter, it's laughter made wise by having known real grief. Yeah. And when there is grief, it is made wise by having known real joy. You know, I I don't think that life has often given me any monolithic emotions that, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, that if I'm looking, you know, I can be in a certain sort of psychopathology that will only allow me to Mm -hmm. experience, you know, one facet right but looking at any situation right the grief that you're feeling is ultimately the inverse of the amount of joy that that person gave you or the amount of joy that that person might have given you right um or the joy that you're feeling is because you know that such states are not constant right joy is you know and and i think ross gay is a great poet of this people talk about him as someone who just writes about gratitude or someone who just writes about joy and he does write about those things but there's always like death sitting in a chair in the corner of the poem or in the corner of the little prose vignette. Um, or there's always history or, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's always joy made wise by its knowledge of what's not joy. And you have this line in the introduction you wrote to this Penguin Book of Spiritual Verse where you're talking about, and I'm paraphrasing you slightly, but rage is a form of tenderness. Yeah. And that just kind of stopped me dead in my tracks. I was like, okay, hold on. <laughs> Hold on, I, mean, I if need you to have... sit with this for a second, but it's actually kind of true, and it goes right back into what you were just saying, though, about joy and grief and joy. Yeah, and grief. I mean, if you've calibrated your 
compassion enough that you can feel compassion for people who aren't you, for people who you'll Mm -hmm. never know. And then you hear that they are being murdered, right? In Gaza Mm -hmm. or Congo or Sudan or Ukraine, right? The rage that you feel emerges from a surfeit of compassion, right? It's an ability to perceive their interiority as real, right? As humans, right? And and I don't think that that's like a spiritual defect to be buffed out. You know, uh, the, the presence of rage indicates that your spiritual apparatus is, re- is well calibrated, you know? Reading allows us to be part of the world, mm-hmm. right? Like it mm-hmm. just allows us to be part of the world. And then you get these great cut glass sentences that you throw around and it's so good. Yeah. Well, and they take you back into that, right? Like you have these sentences that are like portals of that, Mm -hmm. of that revelation that you had of that glimpse into the unprecedented experience. Like there's a, there's a line in Morrison where she talks about a person's face looking like a shattered crystal ball. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and I mean, I just will never forget the way that that made me feel when the first time I read it or like uh, Robert Hayden's those winter Sundays when he yeah. says, speaking indifferently to us who had driven out the cold and polished my good shoes as well. What did I know? What did I know of love's austere and lonely offices, right? That's an encounter with the consciousness of a, of a child in Detroit in the first half of the 20th century. Not completely unlike my own consciousness, right? But I'm brought back to it through that little prism. I'm going to build off of that for a second, quoting yeah. you. Um, Cyrus has a dream. <laughs> There's there's a series of dreams in the novel. Yeah, which you're not supposed to do. Yeah, but they're really well done, so we're just going to let you have all of them. <laughs> I appreciate it. But there's a line that he has where, you know, the dreaming starts not because he's trying to put context around events of his life, but that he's mm-hmm. actually trying to remove the need for context. Mm-hmm. And that, when I think about what you've done in this book, right, where you're playing dream states, not dream states, sober, not sober, you know, alive, dead, time, all of these things that you're sort of playing. Because you are playing. I mean, yeah. Yeah, talking, absolutely. It always comes back to grief, but you are playing throughout. I love book. I love that word for it. Yeah, they're the Legos. I got to feel everything. But to have all of that range of emotion and still be left smiling when I think about this book. Yeah. And it, it is exactly how I felt about Chain Gang All-Stars, too. I mean, yeah, it's how me I too. felt about They're There. It's like, I cannot believe I'm smiling after all of this. But when you feel the energy yeah. of the prose, and when I think about the characters, when I think about what you've done creating this world, right? Like, I've said it before in the show. Like, world building is not a phrase that we should only give over to genre fiction. or Yeah, something. yeah. Like, you actually just have to do that if you're writing a novel. Like, you yeah, just have to 100%. do it. 100%. It doesn't matter if you're standing in a kitchen in Pasadena in 1950, you have to build it. Especially if you're standing in a kitchen in Pasadena in 1950, because we think we know what that (laughs) kitchen looks like. So not only do you have to create that kitchen for us, but you also have to dismantle the kitchen that we have in our brains. Right. Right. And you do, you dismantle quite a lot with this kid. (laughs) No, you do. I mean, I just, I'm really looking forward to lots of folks getting their hands on martyr with an exclamation point and meeting Cyrus, because I think he's a really important kid. All right, you know, you and I could keep going for hours and hours and hours. So I think we we should do a live event when the paperback comes out, but that's a whole different thing. Anyway, on that note, I'm going to say thank you, Kaveh Akbar. Martyr is amazing. Calling a Wolf a Wolf is amazing. Pilgrim Bell, I just, I'm hoping that people come to the poetry as well as the (laughs) novel. But Martyr is out now. It is a riot. It is so good and so smart and so 
Mm. It's all of the things you want in a novel. So thank you so much for joining us on Port Over. This has been a sincere honor. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Port Over is a Barnes & Noble production. To help other readers find us, please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts.